We're reading from Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror. For God is with the generation of the righteous. He would shame the plans of the poor. But the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Okay, let us pray. Almighty God, as we come before you, we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to have an undivided heart, uh, find our wandering hearts that we might uh, glorify you in our thoughts, in our, uh, in my uh, saying, your, hearing your words. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 14 is, uh, I suppose, is quite familiar to most of us, even though we might not know that from Psalm 14, but uh, Romans 3 quoted it, and to be quite, and then uh, Don just now mentioned it uh, about none, and so that's quite familiar. So I today I'm going to approach it from a different angle. Hopefully that would help some of you. In Psalm 14. Uh, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, okay, there's no God. We might think that this statement does not apply to us, as um, we will never say such thing. Uh, the problem is that we may not know or may not be conscious what we say in our hearts. The term heart and mind can mean the same thing. However, by mind, we usually mean thoughts that we can uh, we, we know that we are conscious of and heart are the thought that we, are, we may not be conscious of. So, for example, we may ask uh, someone, is that deep in your heart, do you really love me? Or deep in your heart, do you really like this? It's a sort of question that to, to help people to think deeper what is in their heart. And we also know people who can appear quite normal, but they can often do things that are harmful to themselves, like committing suicide, or their loved ones, or the people around them. So what's happening in their minds when people commit acts of uh, atrocity? And so there's an area of life that is a bit mysterious to us. So to think about this, we can get some, you might be able to get some help from Sigmund Freud. So, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, Joe uh, just completed a, a course on psychology online, and he talked about Sigmund Freud, and that reminded me about him because I studied him as well in first year of medicine. Uh, so Freud 
was the forerunner of uh, modern psychology. He was born as a Jew in, 19, uh, in 1856 and lived in Vienna uh, most of his life until the beginning of World War II when he was, uh, in a way, forced to move to London and he died very shortly after the move at uh, 83 years of age, just before World War II, or at the beginning of World War II. So he, he was the first scientist who uh, started analyzing human uh, minds. Uh, because before then, uh, humans are considered as sacred, and you don't just study human. But after the theory of evolution being accepted, so people started to see human as one of the animals, and so you can analyze uh, human beings. And he, he, he was the first psychologist to push the idea of unconscious minds. He believed that in each of us, there was a part of uh, our minds that we were not aware of. So Freud's main interest is to explain human behavior, including his own. So in Psalm 14, I'm trying to help us to see what is in the minds of people, in the mind of the fools, of God's people. And, and so that's why I've just ex uh, briefly explained what Freud thinks and that formed the basis of psychology, even though Freud's idea has been superseded, but he's, he formed the basis of what modern psychology uh, is nowadays. So he, his basic uh, uh, model is that the uh, human mind has got three parts. So a part that is un mostly unconscious mind is called the I eat ID, or in Latin, ID, but in English, eat, IT. Okay. It, it means the sort of implies that the animal part, even though he thinks that human beings are the animals, but this is the animal part, the instinct part of, of the mind, that it comes naturally as we were born with, and it's pleasure seeking. Uh, it's a part that gives us, makes us want to do things that's pleasurable, and it's mostly uh, hidden. And the other part is superego. It is the part that is the ideal self, what we want, we would like us to be. Uh, what is our ideal that is give us uh, honor, reputation, and, and it's usually nurture. It's not born with, but we learn as we grow. We see what the society, what our parents value, and, and that is what we uh, think about that. Uh, and the third part is uh, ego, is the means I, basically. Uh, so that is the part that we are, you know, you see me or I see you, that is the ego part, that we are apparent, that is the, on the surface, that's where, who we are, and that is the part that uh, will strive for survival as the, the, main, uh, the main concern. Uh, and it is the rational part that thinks about the consequence of things, of doing or not doing. So, so just think about a movie. Inside a movie, the hero, when we, when we watch a movie, we would like to be the hero. That hero is a super ego of, of our mind. That is what we like to be. And there is the villain, the bad guy. The bad guy, we like, the, the bad guy is the, the one that is just seeking for pleasure. 
and so, and then there is the supporting actors, or so all the rest of the ordinary people, and that is the ego. That is the the real or the the me that is uh, appear apparent to to other people. So uh, the Freud then used this as the basis for his uh, psychoanalysis, trying to understand why people do what they, what they do. Now, Freud is not a Christian, as you know, he's an atheist, and so he, he didn't take anything about spiritual thing into account, so he's, this is his basic model, and therefore, I mean, his model is not uh, complete, and also it's quite simplistic. However, uh, even a simple model helps for us to understand our minds, and we are not in terms of we can modify on it uh, or we can think deeper uh, based on what uh, Freud has uh, 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 given us. Okay. Uh, so, for this sermon, I'm going to even simplify even more uh, my uh, three parts of the, the, the mind. I'm, I'm going to use a heart because I'm talking more about the part that we are less conscious of. So they're also divided into uh, three parts, and it's similar to Freud's division. So part one is uh, pleasure that we are seeking for. So you see the diagram with the me inside the middle, I'm seeking for the pleasure. Uh, pleasure is drive us to seek for enjoyment and to avoid pain. And so we get addicted to things because they give us pleasure. And the pleasure, we can think about it in two broad types. There's a sens sensory pleasure and aesthetic pleasure. Uh, sensory pleasure is the pleasure that we get from our senses. Uh, taste, smell, touch, uh, hearing. Uh, and we are born with that. With, even from baby, we know that babies... Uh, for such uh, pleasure. Aesthetic pleasure is uh, more sort of refined. You need to develop that. And it's usually to do with art. Uh, so we learn to appreciate uh, a painting, a poem. Uh, so uh, I've, I've got friends who spend all their earnings on music records and sound system so they can have a good... Uh, sound system at home, they enjoy that good quality music. So listening to music gives us sensory pleasure. But appreciating how the music is composed, how they put together, that is the aesthetic pleasure that I have. So that is the pleasure part. And then honor, the, the part of us is seeking honor, it gives us a sense of self-worth and it drives us to behave in such a way that we gain us respect. So what we do for honor changes depends on the trend of the society. Sometimes we stand for the rights of the minorities, uh, like the voice that is going on at the moment. People said because everybody uh, uh, value that, so the people will just stand up for it. Uh, sometimes we stand for en environmental preservation, Sometimes we stand for animal rights. It all depends on what the world esteems the most. And the self-preservation part is, is part of the mind that is rational. It helps us to do things that will keep us safe 
and alive. So when we take medicine, we do not do it for pleasure or for honour, but for survival. Uh, pleasure may drive us to eat excessively. Self-preservation would stop us from doing so. Uh, Self-preservation also adjudicate between pleasure and honour to see which one uh, it, it would choose to do. So to give an example of how our hearts determine our behaviour, uh, let us consider a boy who has been told by his father to spend an hour to do his homework. So the pleasure part of the boy wants to play games. The honour part of the boy wants to obey his father. And so the self-preservation part of the boy decides that it is better to do homework for an hour before playing games. In doing so, he can avoid the pain of punishment and gain the respect of his father. And so that's a simple model. Right, so we go to uh, Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. First of all, we note that it does not say a fool, but it says the fool. Uh, what does that imply? It implies that it is not because of the foolishness of a person that leads him to say there is no God. It is the willful rejection of God that makes a person a fool. So the fool is not someone who is lacking intelligence. It is someone who chooses to solely live for his own pleasure, honor, and survival. The fool says in his heart, the fool may not even be conscious of what he says in his heart. The fool may appear to believe in God, but deep in his heart, he says that there is no God. Our behaviors reveal what we really say deep in our hearts. That's where Freud's uh, psychoanalysis comes in. He looks at people's behavior, and then from there, he tries to deduce what is in the mind. When we believe that uh, when believing in God gives us good reputation among so social circles, so the honor part and self-preservation part of our heart would, would cause us to say we believe in God. So the pleasure part of our heart really dislike God. So that is uh, the hidden part, uh, that we can say in our hearts that there's no God, even though we are in our conscious part of the mind, we say that there's God, there's a God. So what drives a fool's behavior? Just coming from back to Psalm 14. Uh, one uh, pleasure, what sort of pleasure they have by persecuting the uh, God's people or doing things whatever way they like. So verse 4 says that they eat up God's people as they eat bread. So we see that these people derive pleasure from abusing others. And they just keep doing that as People can get addicted uh, to it. In World War II, uh, when the Japanese invaded China, uh, they suddenly, the soldiers become like animals. They were killing and raping and torturing people. Even though in their culture, the Japanese people are very polite and good manner, and they bow to one another uh, in their own culture. But once they are liberated, <laughs> in a sense that they are no longer bound by the cultural, uh, the honor part of it in a foreign country. The pleasure part of it, of them, just play up and they just derive pleasure by uh, killing people. Uh, and so they turn themselves into monsters. And that's what we, people can do, uh, as we just do what we 
uh, according to our pleasure, eventually we are turned into monsters and become further and further from God and accumulating God's wrath. So the pleasure part and the honor part, so in a society that admires heroism and power, so people derive their honor by conquering others. There are also societies that admire heroism and tolerance, so people derive their honor by standing up for the minority group. And so during the time of the Old Testament, it's a, it's people, uh, heroism is by conquering. And that's why these people derive their honor part of it by conquering the weaker uh, nations. And the self-preservation part of the fool's heart is uh, that they want to uh, have the most material for survival. Okay. So you, you, if you conquer the weaker people, you get more uh, material. And that's a gain for your survival. And also, to have survival, you remove the threat. So the people of God to the pagans are a threat to them because people of God do not live according to the worldly standard. And, and they don't like that. They deny that. And that's why uh, conquering the Israelite people is uh, uh, satisfied the uh, the, the heart's demands in terms of getting pleasure, honor, and uh, self-preservation. The fools do not know God and do not depend on God. They do not call upon the Lord for their needs. They rob others to get what they want. They distance themselves from God and become more and more foolish. That is uh, verse 4. So another group of people mentioned in Psalm 14 are called the people of God, the descendant of Jacob, the Israelites, and God has, God has chosen to make a covenant with them. They've been given God's law. In this psalm, God's people are victims of the godless people. And we know that in the Old Testament, 1,500 history of Israel, and more than 90% of the time, they were living in fear of surrounding nations. They are most of the time, they are persecuted by the surrounding nations. So why were they usually weaker than the fool? Uh, there are two reasons. There's a superficial, superficial reason and the deep reason. The superficial, superficial uh, reason is that they have been given God's law. So paradoxically, I mean, given God's law, you should be... Uh, a more organized country, uh, nation, uh, more powerful, but uh, depends on how you use God's law, uh, how they live their life. They're, God's law basically limit uh, them in terms of what they can do. Uh, like uh, they, can't, they cannot cheat or steal or kill to get what they want. And so they, when they fight, in a sense, when they fight with the godless people, they are they are a bit bound in terms of uh, the behavior, they, uh, and they are a bit uh, less vicious in terms of because they don't live in that way. Uh, and so the, the barbarians have an upper hand and stronger than them uh, physically. Uh, and 
be just like uh, being Christians if you uh, don't uh, work on Sundays or you don't open the shop on Sundays, and then it's hard for you to compete uh, with people who do open their shop 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, and, and, and so on. You can think about the uh, disadvantage of uh, uh, in a society when you try to uh, follow God's law. So that is the superficial reason. The deep reason is that their hearts do not love God's law. They, what they want is God's blessing. They, the pleasure they derive is getting blessing from God, not from God, not God himself. And so the, the middle of the heart is still me. They're still living for themselves. Uh, so Psalm 14 verses 2 and 3 says that there's no one who understands, no one who seeks after God, no one who does good. So this includes God's people as well. There's no one who understands the things of God. They do not understand the greater pleasure, the greater honor, and the greater life that are only found in the relationship with God. They do not seek after God. They only seek after worldly things that maximize their pleasure, honor, and life. They do what is good according to their own hearts, not according to God's heart. All the seeking is for oneself. Therefore, no one does good. Doing good means ultimate good, eternal good. Such good can only be done from the perspective uh, of the ultimate and eternal being. So if we do good because we think that it's good, but in God's eye, it may not be. And the good that we think is good usually makes us proud. Yeah. So when we obey God, it is not only good because we trust God's wisdom and plan, but also ultimately good for ourselves even though obeying God could be difficult in the society like this. So that is the heart of God's people. Then we look at the heart of God. In Psalm 14, we can see at least three aspects of God's heart. One is faithfulness. That is in verse 7 that we read just now. God is faithful to his covenant. He still calls Israelites his people despite their breaking of the covenant. So because of his faithfulness, he will do something to restore the heart of these people. And verse 7 says, salvation will come out of Zion. Two is holiness. In verse 5, it says that God is with the generation, generation of the righteous. God is not with any other generation. God cannot be with evildoers. He can only be with the generation of righteous. He will establish the real people of God the generation of righteous. Now, are the people Israelites, the Israel, inherently righteous? No, we know that there is no, no one, no one does good. But uh, like Abraham, they were considered righteous because of God's uh, grace, just like we are. They were righteous because of uh, what God reckoned to them. Okay, so there is, they are righteous in that way because of God's own uh, mercy. And so the third thing is God's mercy. In verse 6, he says that God is a refuge for the poor and the needy. He does not turn away anyone who pleads mercy. 
when Jesus said he had come to be the salvation of Israel, Israel, the Jews were expecting him to terrify their godless enemies. They were, want, they were waiting for someone to restore their fortunes. While they could see Jesus uh, helping the, uh, the poor and the needy, they did not think Jesus was the one they were waiting for, as Jesus did not seem to have restored their fortunes. The Jews did not understand the things of God. They were just wanting God to restore their worldly fortunes. God wants to restore far greater things. God wants to restore the hearts of his people. The Lord Jesus told us that there will be a final judgment for everyone. Those who reject God and those who harm God's people will be, will be in great terror in that judgment day. During the Old Testament time, while God used the stronger nations to terrify and punish the, uh, the godless people, uh, it is, it's not the final judgment. There is still a final judgment to come. And, when, and so on that day, Psalm 14 will be uh, fully fulfilled. But we can look at the history or the nations that uh, terrified Israel were themselves terrified by stronger nations repeatedly. So God wants a heart that understands, seeks after him and does good. Jesus understood the heart of God and he understood the heart of God that is in the heart of God that is not legalistic. It's not that you have to do this and you don't do this but the heart of God is relational. The law was given to keep the Israelites from being fools. The law reveals to them how they can relate to God. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God's law, not because of the fear of punishment, but because of his love towards God. To Jesus, only fools could, would choose to live by the ways of the world and ignore the ways of the good God. Jesus delighted in God. Jesus came to do the will of God. He did what, was, what pleased God, even amid suffering and persecution. While the Israelites suffered the persecution of godless people, Jesus suffered the persecution of religious people. For our sake, Jesus became poor. The religious people made fun of Jesus. They laughed at his plan to save God's people. He's, they said if he, he, he could not even save himself from the crucifixion. How could he save anyone else? Those people had no knowledge. They did not know that the Savior should suffer before he entered into his glory. Those who hear Jesus' voice will see the glory of God in Jesus. They will know the truth about God and about their own hearts. They will have their hearts restored. They will understand the honor that they get from their performance is nothing compared to the honor of being called the people of God and the children of God. They will understand that such great honor cannot be exchanged with their achievement. It is given free because of Jesus' sacrifice. They will wait for the greater honor that is to come because having Christ in them, they have the hope of glory. They will begin to seek after God as a joy of knowing God. They, 
the joy of knowing God experience surpasses all physical and aesthetic pleasure. Because of the blood of Jesus, they no longer face the wrath of God. Instead, they have the pleasure of being loved by God and loving God. And they will begin to live according to God's will. The decision they make no longer just based on their own needs of honor, pleasure, and survival, because they have received uh, abundantly everything that they need in Christ. They will learn to live by faith and not by sight. About 100 years ago, Freud considered God as a fantasy. And based on the infantile need for a dominant father figure, with religion as a necessity in the development of early civilization to help restrain our violent impulses. And this could be discarded in favor of science and reason. Over the past hundred years, people have indeed rejected God, mostly. Has our world become a better place to live? Has there, has there been more fortune for most people of the world? No, we've seen so many wars over the last hundred years. So many people die. Science and reason do not give us wisdom. In fact, they, they make us more foolish. In the past few years, as I work in Newcastle, I could see that the number of psychologists have at least double. Uh, there's always a new psychology <laughs> opening every week. But at the same time, they're always full. Uh, when I refer patients to them, they have to wait for a long time. Why suddenly there's so many people who seek counseling because of depression and anxiety? People, human hearts are more fragile than ever. We get hurt easily. We cannot handle disappointments and disapprovals. At the end, our rejection of God and God's people will prove that we are fools. The sad thing is that we do not even know we have played a fool. We keep on complaining about the misery in life, keep on blaming others, the governments or other people for our unhappiness. We will not realize or admit that the restlessness in our hearts is a consequence of our rejection of God. Psalm 34 verses 8 to 10 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear the Lord have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Unlike the fool, those whose heart have been restored by God have tasted the goodness of God. They will call on the Lord for their needs. May we open our hearts to him today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy upon us that you do not uh, despise us. Uh, you're not, you did not give us up. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you for such a love and care towards us. Father, help us to see your glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.